and welcome to Kankwe, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith, and joining me... Oh, oh, there we go. <laughs> is Sebastian. <laughs> Sorry, I am Sebastian. Sebastian. Yeah, did you I, mute me? I did. I did. I muted you. And uh, yeah, that was... that Was Was it because I accidentally uh, breathed in my tea and have been coughing ever since? Yeah, that is exactly why. And not to do with the fact that I may have forgotten that you were on the same fader as our, as our introduction <laughs> song. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, we'll see how that goes. Now... First of all, I want to start off with a bit of a story that has emerged uh, that is somewhat specific to Toronto, but I want okay. to emphasize that uh, we are aware that places outside of uh, the city of Toronto exist. But what I like about this story mm-hmm. is that it is really looking at how history and context impacts how we move forward now and the sort of situation that we are in. Now, a bunch of folks who have, who were most notably impacted by the Pussy Palace raids, and we'll we'll break down what that was and and who do had, a little mini history, yeah, a little mini yeah. history. Um, was uh, they've issued a public letter, an open letter regarding the appointment of Myron Demku as the chief of police to the uh, city of Toronto. Now, the mayor and the chair of the police services board have offered to meet with uh, the advocates that signed the letter. Uh, at day of recording, I believe the offer for the mayor and these, these LGBT adv- advocates um, is to meet with them one-on-one. Mm-hmm. My understanding is that the advocates are hoping to have a community consultation uh, mm-hmm. and invite the community as a, as a whole to, to be a party to that conversation. Um, so they were the two people who wrote the letter were the original members of the Toronto Women's Bathhouse Committee. Mm-hmm. And the reason why they are particularly concerned with the uh, the chief of police designate for the city of Toronto is that this same individual, um, I'm blanking on his name now, I literally just had it, just had it handy. Myron Demku. There we go. <laughs> it's like it was right in front of me. I've said it three times and I've already forgotten his name. Uh, the reason why people are annoyed at uh, Myron Demku is that he was one of the officers who was uh, highly involved in the Posse Palace raid uh, and even goes so far as to say that he, quote, uh, identified himself as a member of the morality squad. Now, hmm. in itself, you know, is. Being a part of a contentious police initiative, you know, 22 years ago, enough to rule you out of the top job now, maybe in and of itself, maybe not so much, but I think... Even beyond that, though, the police are a paramilitary organization, Mm -hmm. and if he organized anything, it's because he was told to. It's not because he stepped up and volunteered and and said, I'm just going to do this on my own. Like You can't go rogue in an organization like that. Ultimately, you do what you're told. Now... In the past 22 years, and I think this is what you are about to say, there, that's been a lot of time to change and evolve. And, you know, there, there should be a route forward for forgiveness. And maybe he was just doing what he what he was told. But, I mean, that would be pretty easy to just look into the past 20 years. There would be, at least at some point in time, some evidence that he has updated his viewpoints, expressed regrets, said uh, maybe that wasn't done right, or what have you. As it happens, I think you might remember this. But back when the Pussy Palace 
raids happened, I was on another queer radio show based mm-hmm. out of Hamilton. And uh, we actually had a guest on at the time that I interviewed, uh, or co-interviewed, I should be more, more fair, um, who actually was at the raids. And uh, we were told that the raids were, in the grand scheme of bathhouse raids, pretty respectable, but there was a lot of disrespect, a lot of ogling. Um, nobody was cuffed and thrown into a, a paddy wagon aggressively. Nobody really got slapped around, but it was very disrespectful. There was clear, like, ooh, naked booby ladies. Um, googly eyes, sort of cartoon auga moments going on uh, that were just not becoming of a police force. And a, a lot of the complaints really came down to that. Like, the police did what they were told, but the, what the way that they did it was deeply unprofessional and that came up a lot at the time and i don't remember what the committee said but at least the person that we were interviewing said that uh, she blamed the politicians who okayed it more than the police who did what they were told well i disagree but, but yeah this isn't but. just the, yeah okay you finish because i i, <laughs> I don't think i think the police have some responsibility here more well, they than... have a responsibility to do it in a safe manner to make sure that nobody gets harmed and that they're respectful to the, the people and if nobody's resisting arrest or being uh, uh belligerent in some way that if they just say yes officer just give me a second to put my shirt on officer then you say okay i'll give you that well that's not what world, happened yeah in a perfect yeah. world that is the case the frankly oh. the toronto police service um got it wrong they got it okay. unabashedly wrong they got it oh, yeah. so wrong that okay. there was a, uh, a case taken to the Canadian, the Ontario Human Rights Commission against the Toronto Police Service for mm-hmm. the Pussy Palace raids. Now, that case, the Toronto Police Service lost for their violations of the Ontario Human Rights Code um, okay. and the charter rights of the attendees who were there at the palace. So much so that in 2016, the Toronto Police Service had to issue a formal apology mm-hmm. for their raid on the Pussy Palace. Should we describe now what happened and why it happened? Absolutely. Do you want to go ahead? Well, I know the, the what. I can't remember the details and the why. Like, like, as I said, you know, the police do what they're told, and I cannot remember who told them to do it. But uh, the Pussy Palace was an event that happened in a gay bathhouse where once a week they would basically have a women's night. Um, people had tried to own, uh, to open uh, bathhouses for women before. Uh, there kind of wasn't enough business to sustain the model, but there was definitely enough business for a one-day-a-week special event. They made they made a fair deal of money on that one-day-a-week. I think it was a Saturday. But anyway, no, it was twice a month, I believe. But anyway, uh, it was basically just a women's event in a gay bathhouse. They would clear out all the men, uh, and they would let in all the women. And there was just a... Uh, at that time, there were these sort of clean-out raids all the time mm-hmm. on gay bathhouses. Uh, common body houses were redefined at the time, so bathhouses were now, I believe, private businesses. It's been a while. It's also been redefined since then, so I'm going on memory. Um, and uh, because everything happened behind closed doors and it was on a, uh, a subscription model, like they had to take down your name and number before you could go in the place, and the windows were blacked out, and there was no peeping toms. There was no. It was all behind closed doors. It was determined to be legally gray. It was going to a bathhouse was the equivalent of having one joint of marijuana on you before marijuana is decriminalized. Where the police were like, "Eh, whatever, go about your business." 
that was how it was on paper, but there were still raids happening. And there was a raid that happened on one of these events where the police, I, I've seen it described as stormed in, but I've actually spoken to people who were there. And it was more like they barged in. <laughs> they just sort of like belligerently opened the door and they're like, hey, what's going on in here? And it was, well, they, they sent two women in first. And okay. they had two, uh, you know, undercover female officers attend the Pussy Palace uh, events. Now these bathhouses have been up and running in 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 Toronto for for many years. And Since the fifties, at least. Yeah, and yeah. the police were not there because of it being a bathhouse. That's <laughs> that's as as far as they're concerned. The massive yep. undercover operation had nothing to do with the fact that they happened to also be a bathhouse. It was completely, yep. uh, completely were they were surprised that it was. I'm not, maybe not surprised, but they uh, ostensibly argued they were there for liquor license violations. Uh, yep, yep, and Al Capone went to jail for tax fraud, yep. Yeah, yeah. so that is the fig leaf <laughs> of the bathhouse raids that the Toronto Police Service were using. So they sent in two police uh, to undercover female officers first um, to have a look around and establish potential liquor license violations. Um, and then after that, they sent in five plainclothed officers. Um, mm -hmm. I do not. I think the the media reporting at the time didn't indicate that they identified themselves as Toronto police officers. Uh, okay. These five male officers went around an all female event in and out mm -hmm. of every private room, uh, mm -hmm. ostensibly looking for liquor license violations. Mm -hmm. So this, uh, you know, according to the Ontario Human Rights Commission, uh, male cops cannot just go marauding in and out of every single female, you know, half-naked or naked uh, event mm -hmm. um, and plain clothes without identifying themselves um, for ostensibly a liquor license violation. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, it is... To, to even grapple with the idea of there being trust between the gay community yeah. and the Toronto Police Service um, when they're launching undercover raids to make sure you don't have a, you know, a Mickey of whiskey with you is is just mm -hmm. outrageous. So this uh, possible police chief, what's the, uh, what's the update on this? Well, the update is that... Uh, they issued a letter, and I'll, I'll read a little bit from uh, from the letter here. Um, apparently, he identified himself as a member of the morality squad. Um, in the case that followed, the justice said that the officer's conduct as bringing the administration of justice into disrepute. Uh, mm -hmm. He had very few kind things to say about the officer's conduct in the undercover raid. Mm -hmm. um, Mr. Demkew, the officer who's now been... Uh, um, uh, the, the designate for the chief of police role uh, was among a number of officers who sued a city councillor who advocated on behalf of uh, the women impacted at the Pussy Palace mm -hmm. uh, and then also participated in additional raids on queer spaces that same year, according to the open letter um, signed by the advocates. It's worth noting that uh, the delay from them being wrapped on the knuckles for the conduct in this raid and other raids happening. I feel like the consequences of their actions haven't quite caught up with them uh, to learn not to do that mm -hmm. again. 
Um, mm-hmm. So the fact that he was a party to other raids later throughout the year is not remotely surprising to me, um, as it took a little while, uh, and the court case which Toronto Police Service lost, to be able to realize that maybe they shouldn't be doing that. But, mm-hmm. you know, a former Chief Saunders issued the apology in 2016, and I believe we reported on it at the time. And mm-hmm. they were apologizing specifically for some of the bathhouse raids in the um, in the 80s through to the 90s. But, I mean, this, yep. was, this was 2000. This was, you know what I mean? This wasn't, like, yeah. you know, too recently. And if I remember correctly, we reported on the apology, and then they spent a million dollars in a sting operation on a on a cruising in a park yep a week later yeah 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 whether or not they were also looking for liquor license violations on in the park who knows but uh it seems like tps says one thing and then just completely ignores what they've said and carries on doing what they were doing yeah 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 And, and to be clear like there there have been times where uh like when I lived in Hamilton, there was one bar. Actually, there were two bars that regularly were raided and shut down by the cops. And when it happened, everyone was like, "Yeah, no, that's fair," because they were shut down for things like um, underage drinkers being in the mm. bar or actually violating their liquor license for like having beer kegs that they didn't they didn't pay um, the LCBO for the rights to to, to tap uh, things like that. And it, it you know, you, ah, the shady business practices, eh, shady bar. Eh. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, the owner got got hit with a, a something, and everyone was like, "Yeah, I guess so." Yep, that makes sense. And it so it's not just a matter of the community being irrational. Like there are times when we have seen bars that we like get shut down, and we're like, "Oh yeah, I'm surprised yeah, it took them yeah. that long." Well, yeah, so. <laughs> there is one bar in particular that I was amazed was open when I was there, let alone uh, you know <laughs> the, the following day or two. Um, yeah, and some of that's yeah. just the bar business. Some of that has nothing to do with the community. That's just the bar business is quite often pretty shady. You know, they, they run at margins or they're they're a front for something. I don't know. But I don't but know. There, it, yeah, there's mm-hmm. a ma- there's a way of doing it correctly. Like if you're going to do a liquor license raid, especially on a women's only event, there's a way to do it so that you don't get sued. Yeah. And well, hopefully even if TPS you... learned that uh, <laughs> stomping through every single room, um, regardless of what's happening, is is not the way to to yeah. go about it. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's 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 very frustrating. For context, I was looking at some media coverage around Jeffrey Dahmer, and uh, the mother of one of the victims has uh, also come forward and complained about the new Netflix documentary on Jeffrey Dahmer. But what's really interesting, people have been looking into the FBI files on Jeffrey Dahmer and Mm -hmm. the police files on Jeffrey Dahmer. And what Mm -hmm. they found is there is so much institutional homophobia in FBI reporting and local police reporting on this serial killer that it's no wonder he was uh, he was not caught for as long as he was because oh, yeah. people just weren't paying attention they didn't care and they didn't I, care yeah yeah i bring this up because toronto police service was accused of the exact same thing mm. with uh, the bruce macarthur murders uh, in in the in the mid 2010s um you know the community jumping up and down for a long time saying look over here look over here there's a serial killer and TPS being like, ah, oh, but we read on the forum there's a cannibal in Amsterdam, and that's where we're going to focus all of our all of our attention, um, as opposed to listening to the community who was was insistent. And I think that 
you know, we, we, we read the, the judge's report on the police conduct of the Bruce MacArthur mm -hmm. investigation. And it was absolutely scathing in terms yeah, yeah, yeah. of the relationship between the police and the LGBT community. So you got the Pussy Palace raids in 2000, the Bruce MacArthur yep. murders, um, the police response to other things like the Black Lives Matter protests at the Pride Parade. All of these things are continuing to demonstrate that the relationship between the Toronto Police Service and the LGBTQ plus community in Toronto mm is between non-existent and extremely yep. fraught like it is it is a thin thread of trust if there even is any and it it's very much and this is again this is us making toronto the center of the universe because <laughs> I, I remember i think it was a year and a half ago we read a report how uh there were two officers working out of vancouver that completely turned around the relationship um hamilton has made a few whoopsie daisies over the past five years but they've been working very hard at, at uh holding themselves accountable and trying to not do it again uh here in ottawa well i'm in ottawa currently um there's a 20-year history possibly actually 30 to 40 depending on who you speak to uh year history of uh, the police slowly cleaning up their act and trying to do better um and it seems like the 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 Toronto police aren't trying and failing because they're not even trying. Yeah. Like if they were trying and failing, because like Hamilton kind of has a reputation of trying and failing, but people observe the fact that they are at least trying. And you don't get that impression when you look at Toronto. Well, I know that Toronto has designated police officers for the village community, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, is uh, is great. But of course, because of the, the housing prices in the downtown Toronto core, queer folks have had to uh, move into other neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I think that, uh, you know, I was speaking relatively recently with the village BIA in Toronto, and they, they spoke very highly of their relationship to the area neighborhood officers that they mm -hmm. that they work with but you mean one or two advocates on the ground does not yep. a systemic change make no <laughs> and, no no and i think that you know these these two individuals who had been a part of or had been impacted by the raid on the pussy palace um which you know wasn't just a so you know it was set up by the aids committee of toronto and and uh, the committee that ended up organizing it as a venue and a space for for queer women in in Toronto to kind of gather in in that kind of way, um, you, you know, I, yeah, I think it undermined. They've been undermining the community for a long time, and I can see why the appointment of one of those officers to this role can be mm -hmm. seen as just yet another slap in the face. Well, and it's also an issue of do you have nobody else? Like you could say, you know, there should be forgiveness, there should be a path forward. You shouldn't have. You know, they're uh, whatever, but uh, he, he, he doesn't sound like he's done anything to be held accountable. Doesn't sound like he's changed his mind or turned around on anything. And it's just th there's an entire police force of other people who are qualified and who have been staff sergeants or inspectors or what have you, who are just biting at the chomp, ready to, to become chief of police that they can find who maybe doesn't have a squeaky clean perfect history because everyone's human, but at least doesn't have major human rights complaints against them. That can't be hard. Yeah. Well, I think One the, would hope. the argument being made by, I think, John Tory and uh, the chair of the police services board is that uh, DEMQ has, in the last 22 years, done a significant amount of um, 
of of work as a police, uh, you know, in the Toronto Police Service, okay. um, and that his commitment to the city is is undeniable. Okay. And you know, do people evolve in twenty two years? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Are all of the police officers in the Toronto Police Service subject to the orders that they've been given? party to investigations or operations which later turned out to be less than stellar you know Mm -hmm. i think we need to separate to a degree that uh, some folks in the toronto police services were told to do things that were Mm -hmm. ill thought out by their leadership oh yes Um, do we then hold that against them 20 years later Mm-hmm. in terms of, uh, you know, their decision-making. I think it's an interesting pickle that uh, that they find themselves in. And mm-hmm. I do wonder how they're going to move forward here because this individual was a key part of that historical raid. And I think that what is going to be needed is a demonstration that uh, this former member of the morality police mm-hmm. uh, is willing to work with and, you know, and secure the community here because... Toronto Police has got a lot of heavy lifting to do in terms of that relationship with the community in Toronto. Right. Absolutely. Well, on that cheerful topic, <laughs> let's let's jump to our first track. This is uh, this is well, where did I put it? Okay, here it is. This is a sweater weather by Bells Larson, an incredible uh, emerging artist, and we will be back just after this. Nope, I am going to try that again, this time with the volume on. Let's try, let's go, let's go from the start here. As I mentioned, this is Sweater Weather by Bells Larson, and we'll be back just after this. Colored coal sweater 
you. Yeah, hello and welcome back to Cancun, <laughs> home of Canada's queer media. My name is Stulik Smith. Uh, my name is Sebastian. I just want to mention uh, that I forgot to say earlier the charges against two of the volunteers on um, essentially the liquor violation rules uh, were dismissed by a judge in the January of 2002. So two of the volunteers uh, that had been charged, uh, those, those charges were then dismissed by the judge, arguing that their rights, their constitutional rights, uh, and the rights of other attendees had been violated by the Toronto Police Service. Uh, and as you, you uh, how do you put it, uh, briskly entering, not, not bursting in, not storming in. Was it bursting in was the language? I said, I said barging in. Barging in. Uh, yeah. And essentially saying that barging in uh, was the comparator, uh, the police uh, entry or barging into the bathhouse was comparable to a strip search. Because, uh, of Ooh. course, all the women there were uh, in various stages of uh, undress mm -hmm. um, as part of the bathhouse. Uh, the Women's Bathhouse Committee then sued the Toronto Police Service, and that was settled in 2005 uh, for 350000 which covered legal fees and charities. So... It, you know, it's not like this is outside of the living memory of the Toronto Police Services. Um, mm -hmm. It was certainly a bit of a bit of a, um, a misstep. Now, speaking of of somewhat missteps, you had a, an interesting story update in terms of how bros are doing. Oh yes. <coughs> so we uh, uh, we missed last week, so we couldn't really talk about the release of this movie. Uh, the media around it, how it went, the analysis of why it failed. Um, well, I mean, there's also uh, varying uh, disagreements about how it failed. Um, have, have you seen? Have you seen? Bros I have yet? not seen Bros yet because I just don't fancy it. It just, <laughs> and I watch a lot of. I watch you, your 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 taste. You, you have a strong feeling about my taste in movies. Yes. And you have a uh, strong feeling about my taste in movies. Yes, the difference yeah, is I yeah. agree with your taste. I know that I watch bad movies. That's the difference. Yeah. Um, but um, so one of the issues with Bros is that it did not make its money back. I think, uh, oh, man, I, I had the numbers pulled up, and then I got rid of it. Um, so, yeah, uh, uh, Bros was the Billy Eichner movie that um, had a lot of uh, buzz surrounding it as being – um, the production team was almost entirely LGBT of some variety or another. So, you know, the producers, the director, and, and Billy Eichner himself, the writing staff, all that. Um, and it was a romantic comedy about uh, a gay man living in, uh, I believe, New York. Now, it did very poorly. Um, the opening night, it made just shy of $5 million, and it grossed $10 million, and it cost about $20 million to make. So... There's been an accusation that the uh, the reason why this is is because uh, America is just too homophobic to go see a romantic comedy about gay people. And there's been a lot of pushback against that narrative. So uh, my favorite one, and this one's completely neutral, and that is, um, well, first of all, 20 million is way too much for a romantic comedy they 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 were burning their cash uh you could probably make it for about five million but even beyond that when was the last time a romantic comedy made its money back in the theater well i think that's exactly yeah you know this was you know one of the first if not the first major studio romantic comedy films that 
centered and really anchored by an openly gay man. And it was a gay love story. And it, you know, it, I think what's what's unique and the first about this is the major studio push behind it. Yeah, um, for sure. But the problem, I just don't want to see Bill Eichner. You know, well, <laughs> there, there, like... there's part of that, and it's partly, and this is this is going to be a very dated statement, but that's on purpose. I truly believe that blockbuster video killed the romantic comedy as a theater release because. Even if you were going to go to see a romantic comedy, you would not spend $20 a ticket plus food and drink. $20? When was the last time you went to a theater? Like $20 a ticket? You are... You, are you going to like small independent ones? Because I'm, I I, I'm certain it is more than $20 now. Well, I saw, I saw uh, Dude in 3D, but I also got the tickets in advance. So there was that advanced ticket sale. But yeah, no, it's... Romantic comedies, they're a couch genre they're not a theater genre like if, if they had a big action movies with explosions and and like top gun did well in the theater it did incredibly well in the theater but it's a movie about fighter jets of course it's going to do well in the theater and there's been a lot of people sort of pushing back against the homophobia narrative basically just saying nobody wants to spend that much money to go see a romantic comedy in the theater they this should have been a netflix release it should have been a Netflix release, and they should have gotten a better producer who cut the cost in half, and they easily would have gotten their money back. Um, plus, and I saw somebody else crunch the numbers on this. They said, let's be as generous as possible. Let's say 5% of America is gay, and then cut that in half and say 2.5% of America are gay men. And let's say that only gay men went to see this theater. It was still something ridiculous, like one in 50 gay men went to see it. It was a very small turnout. So it wasn't just that it was a gay production. It was a very specific type of gay that a lot of people who identify as gay don't identify with. You know, my understanding is that some of the pushback has been that uh, not enough straight people went to go see this gay rom-com. And, and that is the issue. Because, you know, let's be honest here. We've done that. You know, if one in 10 people are gay, then nine in 10 people are, are straight. And uh, if nine in 10 people aren't going to go see the movie, um, you have missed, <laughs> you've missed something. So well, I know that there's been conversations with Bill Eichner in various interviews about was this, was this packaged well enough for mm. a more straight audience to be able to, to make the numbers back? It could have been that they just chose the wrong distribution model. Every town, well, almost every town, has that little one-screen theater. You know, the kind of place where they play movies that won the Palm Door, and on Halloween they do a live uh, interactive viewing of Rocky Horror. Almost every city has that theater. Ottawa has two. Um, we have two theaters like that. That's the kind of place where this should have had its distribution, because that's the kind of scale that this kind of movie would have done well at i don't know it's just everything about it was a miscalculation and it's turning into a story that i don't think is fair um but i mean i don't know it, it's it's a specific variety of big city political gay that even small town gays looked at that and said i don't want to see billy eichner i don't want to see him engaged in a a debate about the LGBTQ history museum. Like, is this a romantic comedy or is this a political platform? What are we going to watch? Can you choose a pick stream? Can you stick with it? Um, we watched 
a gay romantic comedy some time ago that we still quote to this day. Which one is that? Jeffrey. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I had to get my friend Jeffrey to watch it (laughs) because (laughs) because I kept – every time I'd say his name, I'd go, Jeffrey. (laughs) That was uh, really hard not to do that. Uh, Sigourney Weaver was in it. There's a lot of big names in that movie, and it did – it got its money back in the very least. It's just – I don't know. I, I think I think the the hubbub surrounding bros is just. I, I think it's cope. I think it's uh, getting ahead of a mediocre movie by blaming the audience for you making a movie that did not have sufficient mass appeal for a wide release. Mm-hmm. It could have had an intermediate release. Again, if they released it on Netflix and if they toured on those little one screen theaters, they, I think they could have gotten the money back. And if they scaled back on the budget, blah blah blah. I don't know. I don't think this is the story that it's cracked up to be. And I think Billy Eichner is just a little sore that uh, he made a bomb of a movie. Not only that, but you kind of tapped into another thing. I've seen a lot of people, because as you know, I watch a lot of movie nerds. And something that a lot of people have said is that Billy Eichner is hilarious in small doses, but an hour and a half of that? Like, it's it's a bit much. Yeah, my understanding is that Billy Eichner is not playing, you know, Billy on the street. Like, that is... Okay. It's a different character. It's not Billy on the street. Um, but I just... I don't know. It's all the power to him for making a big studio production rom-com. Mm-hmm. I, I, um, I am astonished it was $20 million. I think that that is, uh, that is a lot of money. Because I can double check if you want. The expectations to make that back is also yeah. quite high. Um, you know, how do yeah. you uh, how do you recover those kinds of month those kinds of funds? I don't know. Twenty two million, it turns out. Yeah, I I just I it didn't inspire me as something that I would want to go see. There, there have mm-hmm. been gay films that have come through, and I'm like, oh yeah, you know, even ones that I'll go and watch on my own. Billy Nomads, oh, yeah. you know, going to go watch a movie. But uh, yeah, this one, I don't know. It it seemed a bit too. Ironically, it was too bro duty for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was too. Uh-huh. It was not quite queer enough, you know, uh, and I, I don't know, I just... And yet also way too queer. I yeah, for the general audience. I think it was a swing, but it was a miss. Do you, um, have, a, do you have a favorite romantic comedy with a gay cast? Ooh, favorite romantic comedy with a gay cast. You know what, during the musical break, I'll take a look and see if uh, any jump out. But uh, maybe, hmm, I don't know. What about you? Oh, I have a favorite for sure, yeah. Yeah, is it yeah, Jeffrey? Yeah. Uh, it's not. It's not Jeffrey. Jeffrey. It's um. It, it was an independent movie. Of course, it's an independent movie. A lot of the good gay ones are independent movies. And it was. A, it was called "Is It Just Me?" And my favorite thing about it was that it was basically just a modernized gay version of Cyrano de Bergerac. And I think if you want to make a romantic comedy, then just mimic the best. A mm-hmm. lot of my favorite romantic comedies are basically just Cyrano de Bergerac, like uh, "The Truth About Cats and Dogs." is basically just the uh you know de bergerac and roxanne starring steve martin uh this is dating me a bit but i'm a movie guy i don't care i love it uh but yeah just anything that's just a variation on Cyrano de bergerac you're going to get your money back because that is the best romantic comedy ever told and that that's more of a literary nerd thing but that's yeah fine. i mean i just i i had a quick look now and uh for me i i liked love simon i think actually yeah love simon Romantic comedy, or mm-hmm. not that comedy, but you know, it's a gay romance. Um, it's kind of that teen coming of age yeah. vibe as well, but fundamentally, it's a romance story. 
um, far more accessible than that. <laughs> you know what I mean. I would have gone to see that. I, I think mean, I my, did go to see that. My big fat gay wedding. There's Mambo Italiano. There, there's a lot of good gay comedies out there. A lot of them. Absolutely, are Beginners is a good one. <laughs> the Birdcage. I mean, who who can who can say no? Was to it the a romantic comedy? They were already together though. That wasn't because there, there's will they won't they and there's who will he choose or who will she choose like the the got to choose between two people there's usually like a, a good match who's complicated and difficult and then you've got the accessible but very handsome match that that's usually mm-hmm. like you got the easy but good or the difficult but great like that's that's um oh what's the one with heathcliff um that's pride and prejudice that's that's the the easy but easy but good or difficult but very good that that, that choice that's also the classic uh, yeah. romantic comedy you know choice. i in terms of amazing movies i would always recommend a single man uh, i think it's colin firth who mm-hmm. plays uh it was another one of those great trap great movies by um Isherwood, thingy, is it Benjamin Isherwood, Christopher Isherwood, Christopher Isherwood, who wrote uh, Cabaret, mm-hmm. um, and also wrote The Single Man, um, mm-hmm. and it's a fantastic, I think it's got um, Susan Sarandon in it, and uh, Nicholas Holt uh, is the is the love interest uh, in that one as well. Um, but yeah, Colin, another Colin Firth gay movie is uh, the one that he did with... Uh, Stanley Tucci, I think it's called Supernova, and oh, heartbreaking! I mean, it's not a comedy; it's a, it's a, it's a heartbreaking romance movie. Um, you know, talking about the impact of uh, either Alzheimer's or dementia, and just sort of losing uh, yourself and your loved one at the same time. It's a, it's a painful movie to watch, but certainly, uh, a, you know, a good one. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I just feel like you know, between Jeffrey and. <laughs> Another ones there's there's other ways of spending your uh, your time in terms of uh, gay romantic comedies. All right, oh, we'll yeah. uh, we'll be moving on to some other news just after the break. This is Love Is Fire by the Parachute Club. Going a bit a bit old school on Canada here, and we'll be back just after this.
Hello and welcome back to Kankwe, home of Canada's queer medium. My name is Luke Smith. And Sebastian is on mute. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll give him a hot second to, Hello, to catch I'm There back. we go. That's exactly <laughs> it. That's much better. All right. Now, um, I, we're going to have to become a little bit more somber here for a moment mm -hmm. because there was uh, another horrific attack on the gay community in Europe this past week. And uh, we want to make sure that we are... Responding to it, actually, you know, before we, we dive into one of the things that I found most powerful about what's happened um, in uh, Bratislava in uh, Slovakia, the capital city of Slovakia, there is a gay bar there called uh, Taplaren, and uh, two people were killed and another person was injured in what I believe has been now reported as a bit of a terrorist attack. Um, the individual who had conducted the attack was um, found dead a little later on. Um, I think the circumstances of that are still being uh, investigated. Um, but uh, this individual had posted uh, things related to hate speech and uh, hate against the gay community um, uh, prior to his attack on this gay club, uh, which killed two and uh, injured a third. Now, a lot of folks came forward and were shocked and astonished that, that this would happen in Slovakia. Um, Slovakia has a lot of anti-discrimination protections for LGBTQ people in, in the country. Um, mm -hmm. They don't recognize uh, same-sex marriages uh, that are in the country, but they recognize same-sex marriages from outside the country. Um, and they also do not have any uh, hate crime laws uh, there either as it happens but one of the things that I saw after this horrific attack had happened and this is one of, of many we're seeing across these across Europe right now I think it was Norway there was a, a recent attack as well but one of the things that I saw which kind of really was quite powerful was the owner of uh, of the bar um, Teplaren was stood outside and the Slovakian president, uh, Zuzana Kapitova, um, just walked up to the, the scene of this horrific attack and gave the bar owner a truly heartfelt hug. And mm -hmm. the bar owner obviously distraught by this, this attack and the lives of the patrons that were, uh, that were taken. And no words spoken, no, you know, they, they had, you know, the Slovakian president, uh, Susanna Kapotova, had previously issued a statement, but when going to the site, you know, yeah. went up, give a hug, and, and it was that really human moment of, mm -hmm. this is horrific, this is not how Slovakian society operates, it's unacceptable. Mm -hmm. And I think it was that shared moment of grief that uh, was really quite powerful. That social media post is actually very interesting because she basically said, you know, the victims and the witnesses and the patrons of the bar are in my thoughts and prayers. Mm -hmm. But then the next day she was there. So, I mean, if you're going to do thoughts and prayers, that's how you do it. Like, they really were in her thoughts and prayers. It was, it was yeah. obvious from her actions. The reaction has been... Um, it's interesting because uh, uh, Slovakia is also a predominantly Catholic uh, country. I don't think it's um, to the point where Catholicism is the official state religion. I think it's just the dominant religion. 
but even despite that, there was a massive outpouring of support and sympathy for uh, the bar patrons, the witnesses, and the families of the victims. It was uh, everything that I've read so far, people were surprised that uh, it's not so much that this is a country known for homophobia, but it's just it wasn't a country known for support either. Yeah. And there were yeah. there was something about this event that it just mobilized people to say, whatever we're doing, we have to do better. Um, I, I just want to quote uh, the president, Susanna Kapitova's uh, statement mm. here. She said, or a, words a translation can, of it. Yeah, yeah. this is translated. Words can yeah. become weapons. Hate kills. As politicians, we must weigh every word we say before it's too late. And I think, and that was the end quote, uh, you know, mm. before it's too late, end quote. I think that this demonstrates that folks are grappling with, you know, there are, there are, there are people out there who may not take pause to consider the consequences of their actions. Mm -hmm. and, and uh, sort of reacting impulsively to things as opposed to Googling it, for example. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, and I, I think that politicians as well who have that amplified audience also have an amplified responsibility to make sure that what we say and what we do um, is respectful and not instigating further hate, but rather trying to bring folks together. There's certainly a, mm -hmm. a, you know, a, a dearie there to, to bring bring people together. I don't know. I, it's, I've been looking at some of the things that have been shared recently. Like I, I heard about in, in one of the stories that came to my attention this week, which is truly outrageous, is there was a drag queen reading to dogs in Huntsville, Alabama. That's it. That's the end of the drag queen reads to dogs. Dogs, uh, dogs like hounds like like hounds like basset okay. hounds and, and labradors I, I, and, and i'm not i'm not mishearing you okay yes yeah, yeah. Okay. a drag queen reading to dogs okay. has received yeah. so many death threats that they've had to take leave from the work and uh the the shelter in question the hard knocks rescue and training facility has had their google and yahoo listings bombed and they've been having death threats ever since a woman a drag queen read to some dogs <laughs> it's like it is absolutely outrageous but this isn't just unique to this isn't just unique to canada uh, sorry what to the united states that that's alarming i think it was a children's story two dogs but okay. like i mean i don't think the dogs filed a complaint you know they're okay. dogs <laughs> there is so it wasn't like one of Stephen King's lesser-known works or, or something else that just is so disappointing. That just War and people. Peace. Just reading War and Peace to, <laughs> some, to some dogs. You know, if, if there were a drag queen... Actually, do you know what? Uh, uh, Patrick Stewart in drag reading War and Peace. I would watch that. I, You know, Patrick Stewart in drag, I would watch do pretty much anything. Yeah. Um, but I think there was... There has been this growing alarm in across uh, certain certain news uh, news and opinion circles about the idea that apparently there are some students who have identified as cats and dogs or as furries uh, mm -hmm. and now there are schools accommodating these identifications 
and uh, installing cat litter boxes for the use of students. Now, let me be absolutely clear. There is categorically untrue. <laughs> it is it is so ridiculous. You know, speaking of cat litters, I'm, I'm wondering stories like this. It, it goes back to the old adage. Does it pass the smell test? Yeah, exactly, and if it doesn't yeah. pass the smell test, it's probably not true. But mm -hmm. enough people believe it mm -hmm. that, for example, the Renfrew County District School Board and the Renfrew County Catholic District School Board uh, in Renfrew County, uh, not that far from Ottawa, have mm -hmm. had to mm -hmm. issue an official statement. And I read, it has come to our attention that misinformation is currently circulating in our school communities and online regarding the presence of litter boxes in our schools. Please know that the Renfrew County District School Board and the Renfrew County Catholic District School Board do not have and have never had litter boxes in any of the elementary or secondary school sites. Further, in the provincially mandated collection of demographic data, Questions of identity are specific to gender. We do not collect any data regarding animal identity, and mm -hmm. we do not recognize such identities. The school boards recognize values and accepts and nurtures all staff and students regardless of their gender, gender identity and expression. When your mm -hmm. school board has to come out and gently remind all parents that people don't identify as a cat, I mean, it's it's just what has the world come to what has the world even come to? even if they do they don't know about it and they're not accommodating it and they're not asking about it you know they're yeah, not yeah. uh you know you know who's who's present timmy it's just it's yeah that know. that was a that was a weird story because like just by by sheer you know distribution about if we assume 3.5% of the human population are LGBT, then 3.5% of the incredible weirdos out there are probably also LGBT. So sometimes we hear stories where you're like, oh, yeah, I believe that. that that's probably a real weirdo. This one, first time I heard it, I was like, no, that's a bridge too far. That, that, it that is, a, it is a, bridge too, <laughs> a bridge too far. Um, you know, when you can't read a children's book to a bunch of dogs, and yeah. you can't, and you have to issue notices saying there aren't litter boxes in elementary schools. I mm -hmm. mean, it's, I, I just don't know. I just think we have to pause and think, does this story pass the sniff test, the smell test? Yeah, yeah. And uh, frankly, some of the stories I've seen this week have not. Uh, yes, there were a few other things we didn't get to uh, this week, but especially uh, in a world where everybody has a phone in their pocket, and if you're talking about a school, then most of those phones probably have TikTok or Instagram or something, because high school students are very wired into social media. If there were a litter box, there would be thousands of pictures of it out there. Yeah. I just want to mention, uh, quickly ending on some good news, uh, the Mexican Senate voted to ban conversion therapy for all, which is fantastic news. And I believe that the Mexican state, uh, let me just get the, the name of the particular state, I think it was Mexico City, um, has also um, moved to legalize same-sex marriage. So Ooh. yeah, this is uh, great, uh, great uh, um, news coming out of our marriage, city. marriage, not civil partnerships. Yeah, yeah, marriage, marriage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just I feel like ending on some good news and not on cat litter is probably <laughs> probably a a wise decision. All right, I have been Luke Smith, and I've been Sebastian. Um, and thank you. Oh, sorry, we're playing, we're out, playing with. out with Amor <laughs> Censure by Hoshi. <laughs> thank you for listening.